0: Pray with me. God of all seasons, God of all time, God of all words, we come. We come as we are, out of time, out of sorts, and out of reason, yet seeking time to be, reasons to be, and most of all, to be calm in your presence, ready to listen and know and follow. Speak to us now. Amen.
1: First lesson comes from the book of Ruth, chapter two, verses one through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, beside, behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you they answered the Lord bless you Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers To whom does this young woman belong The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab She said Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers So she came and she had been on her feet from early this she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And, now you left your, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread, and dip your morsel into the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls from her from the bundles, and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Thus ends the reading of the first lesson. To honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, please stand as you are able for the reading of a gospel lesson, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him, ask him any question. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
2: talk a few weeks maybe a month or so ago may recall that um, I went deep into my closet of illustrative material re- reached way back into the back and pulled out that old footprint saying and dusted it off and used it to make a point you, you remember the footprints thing right it's the the story of the man who had a dream that he was walking on the beach the beach representing his life and he's walking there with Jesus and he looks back, and there are two sets of footprints all along the beach, except in very rocky and difficult times when there's only one set. And he, he turns to Jesus and scolds him a bit and says, Why did you leave me when things became difficult? Why did you leave me when things became tough? And Jesus' response to him is, I didn't leave you. It was then that I carried you. And I told that story, and what you may remember if you were there, what I said at table talk about it was this. It, it's, it's the tread on its worn kind of thin. It's been overused a bit, it's become a bit of a cliché, but here's the thing about clichés and banalities. They, they become that because we use them so much. And we use them so much because the first time we hear them they speak a truth to us. They name something that rings right in our heart and, and they mean something and so we tend to overuse them. And here's, here's the truth about the footprint saying. There is in fact a hidden working of God in our life that we don't always recognize in the moment, that sometimes is revealed to us only in retrospect. And when we look back, we can see it and say to God, Oh, there you were. There's a phrase for this in Latin that theologians use um, called "Deus Absconditus, which they used to explain the the supposed absence of God. They really used it in extreme cases to describe why it was that God seemed to be absent when the godly were facing trouble or suffering. It's the absence of God that you hear when the psalmist cry out, as in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Phrase comes from the Latin translation of Isaiah 45, where the prophet says, Truly, you are a God who hides himself. You are a God who hides himself. And we've all felt that at different times in our lives, but what we want to talk about today is something a little bit different. It's it's not God's absence so much as it is God's hidden work. God's quiet presence that we cannot see. What we call providence what Nathaniel Hawthorne, yes Nathaniel Hawthorne, we're going back to junior year in high school English if you don't mind, Nathaniel Hawthorne writes of in the house of seven gables, Hebzebub cannot fathom that God would be interested in an ordinary circumstance and Hawthorne writes this, her faith was too weak, the prayer too heavy to be thus uplifted, it fell back a lump of lead upon her heart. It smote her with the wretched conviction that providence intermeddled not in these petty wrongs of one individual to his fellow, nor had any balm for these little agonies of a solitary soul, but shed its justice and its mercy in a broad sun-like sweep over half the universe at once. Its vastness made it nothing. But Hebzibah did not see that just as there comes a warm sunbeam into every cottage window, so comes a love beam of God's care and pity for every separate need. Just as there comes a warm sunbeam into every cottage window, so comes a love beam of God's care and pity for every separate need. We call that the providence of God. And that brings us back to this story of Ruth. Last week, when we left Ruth and Naomi, or as we would say if this were television, previously on Ruth, the the two women were leaving Moab to return to Bethlehem. They were widowed, husbandless, they were childless, and one of them was a foreigner. Did you catch how many times in the reading Ruth was referred to as a Moabite? The writer does not want you to ever lose sight of the fact that she is a foreigner. And what they did not know when we left them was how they would be received when they returned. But as the story picked up today, we got a hint that things may work out. This is how it begins today. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now it turns out, and we'll see this in chapter 3 later, that there are actually two relatives on her husband's side, but we'll get to that later. For today, there's this, Boaz, a rich man, prominent, well-positioned in the greater Bethlehem area, which, let's be honest, in those days didn't mean much. That would be like saying, well-positioned in lizard lick. (laughs) And Ruth goes out to glean Israelite law required that the fields be left in such a way that the poor could glean. There was provision made for the poor. Reapers were not allowed to harvest everything, almost everything, but not absolutely everything. The rich are required by the law of God to provide for the poor. So Ruth goes out to glean. And the writer tells us that, and I love this, I love the way he says this. As it happened, as it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. As it happened, as if this were just a coincidence, as if God were not involved in the story. And now we trip over the providence of God for the first time. God's not named. God is not a character. God does not appear nor speak. God does not show God's self. As far as we can tell, God does not act directly. It just happens that Ruth stumbles into the field of the only person in Bethlehem who can improve her and Naomi's condition. It just happens. Right. And the temperature never reaches 90 in North Carolina in October either. As it happens, Now from this point on, the story, if you're listening carefully, begins to read like the script of a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. (laughs) Boaz notices her. This is sort of really a fancy meeting you here moment in the story. She is a foreigner observing Israelite custom. She is a woman defying conventional wisdom while maintaining propriety. She was a once relatively prosperous wife thrown into poverty by circumstance. She is where she would not be expected. She is gleaning for food in what to her is a foreign land, but she is now the foreigner. There's no reason that we would expect her to be there when the story begins. Fancy meeting you here. Boaz asked who, he, who she is. And when he discovers who she is, he instructs his workers to make sure she gets plenty for her and Naomi. And he tells her to stay close to the young women who work for him and she will be safe. The narrator does not, by the way, tell us how the young women who work for him, who might be hoping to catch Rich Boaz's eye, feel about that. Apparently, that's another movie and another story. He orders the young men who work for him to leave her alone. And then he blesses her. When she asks what she, a foreigner, has done to receive this grace from him, he tells her, I've heard all about you. I know the story of how you've cared for your mother-in-law, Naomi, in her trouble. I know that you've come to live with her among this group of total strangers. So God bless you, he says. And then he invites her to lunch. And they talk. And they talk, and the rest will be history in due time, meaning next week. We're going to stop here for today. We're going to say this. God is, as we have said, not actively or visibly present in the story. But there seems to be little doubt that God is at work in the story. Or the elders would not have included this story in the book. That phrase, as it happened, suggests that somehow this is not mere chance or good luck. Or as Ralph Gordon likes to remind me frequently, the word luck never appears in the Bible. There seems to be some design, some unseen hand at work in this story. And the main characters, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, don't do what they do simply by chance or by mere accident of choice. Their decisions, the decision Ruth makes to glean, the decision Naomi makes to encourage her, the decision Boaz makes to show radical hospitality are not casual. Their decisions are made and shaped by the particular tradition in which they have been formed. They've been shaped and formed in a faith tradition that teaches that the people of this God behave in this way. And when they behave in this way, they create the space and the room in which God can work. They've been shaped and formed in a tradition that says when we care for the poor, when we welcome the stranger, when we embrace those who are different than we, then we participate in the work of God and the providence of God finds room to move and to breathe. As an aside, it may almost not be an aside, we had a baptism at 825 this morning and Liana was brought to the waters by her mother and father and she will be formed by that baptism. Now, it may be that she's come to baptism by accident of birth or by a family expectation, but it may be also that she came to baptism by the providence of God, a providence that has set her in this community that... That's promised to surround her with love and forgiveness that she may grow in her trust of God and be found faithful in her service to others. Her trust of God as Ruth, her faithful service to others as Boaz. She's gonna be formed in a community that's gonna teach her radical hospitality. That said we resist evil injustice and oppression whatever forms they present themselves. So we are shaped in justice seeking and justice doing In a community that will show her that to love God is to love the neighbor. And one day, long after you and I will not be around to see it, she will do something to perform that shaping and act it out in her life. And she may even wonder herself, where did that come from? And the answer will be the providence of God. Now, in the end... What this means, to the end for today anyway, is that believing in the providence of God is not believing that God causes everything. None of us would be foolish enough to claim that God caused a famine and immense suffering and the death of a husband and two sons and a total family upheaval just so Ruth and Boaz could meet in a gleaning field. But we would be poor theologians in all of our God talk if we did not say that God will make use of whatever we or life or circumstance provides him to work with, that God is at work often in unseen ways, in the ordinary and everyday moments of our lives, in every encounter, in every meeting, in every moment, working and shaping and forming us into a particular people who live in a particular way, creating in us the space for hospitality, teaching us to trust in God's care, enabling us to love all of God's people. And when we're open to that, our lives can testify to God's presence And the work of this unseen God in the world. And we can look back over our lives. And we can say to God. Oh. There you were. And then of course we say. Thanks be to God.